Hello and welcome to the Onstage Colorado podcast. I'm your host, Alex Miller, and today we're talking to Bernie Cardell, Artistic Director of the Vintage Theater in Aurora. We'll get to that interview in just a moment. So we're deep into the January theater season now and lots of new shows going on around the state. The Onstage Colorado review crew has been busy out at the theaters and we have new reviews on the site for a terrific show at Denver's Curious Theater called The Secretary, and, and that's from our new reviewer, John Barnett, as well as Lane Ware's take on A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum by Performance Now playing at the Lakewood Cultural Center, and incidentally, directed by our guest today, Bernie Cardell. I reviewed Family Theater Company's fabulous production of Honk, playing at Aurora Fox, and Blythe Smith got to check out Disenchanted at Littleton Town Hall. Coming up soon, we'll have write-ups of The Squirrels at the Aurora Fox. That one marks Missy Moore's return to Colorado as director. And I'm taking my granddaughter, Caitlin, to see Matilda at the Pace Center in Parker, so we'll have her take along with mine. Another new reviewer joins the team this month from Summit County, my old friend Karen Mason. Uh, she'll get out to see The Great Gatsby at the Breckenridge Backstage Theater. And up in Fort Collins, Carrie Redman will be checking out Open Stages production of Men on Boats at the Lincoln Center and also The Best Brothers at Bob Blue. Down in Colorado Springs, April Took will get to Small Mouth Sounds at the UCCS ENT Center, uh, as well as Lend Me a Tenor at the Funky Little Theater. And in Boulder coming up, Amy Drugan will cover Stephen Dietz's play Bloomsday at Boulder Ensemble Theater Company. I'm also trying to get him on the podcast. He's an interesting guy who's known as one of the most produced playwrights in America and also a Colorado native. So there's a lot coming up. So check it all out on the site at onstagecolorado.com. So our guest today is Bernie Cardell, Artistic Director at the Vintage Theater. This is a theater that's known not only for its high-quality productions, but the sheer volume of plays and musicals they do over the course of the year in their two theaters. Now in its 20th season, Bernie talks about the theater's beginning, as well as offers some thoughts about the role live theater can play in our distracted, screen-driven world. Okay, here's my interview with Bernie Cardell. All right. Well, here we are with uh, Bernie Cardell at Vintage Theater. Bernie, thanks so much for being on the Onstage Colorado podcast no, today. thank you for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And uh, I wanted to uh, uh, talk to you about, uh, you know, the upcoming season. Or just, we've already started the season here at Vintage. And boy, it's quite a lineup. It it's is like, quite a packed lineup. <laughs> that's really the way is. we like it here. Yeah. So we'll get to that in just a minute. First, I wanted to just ask a little bit about your your background and your history and like uh, how you got how you got into, uh, you know, the whole acting and directing. I'm assuming you started as an actor like a lot of people. I did. I, yeah, I did start out as an actor, I uh, but I didn't discover it until after, you know, I wasn't involved with it in high school. I wasn't involved with it in college, and I uh, discovered acting when I moved to Colorado in 2001 and took an acting class, and that just led to one thing after another. Okay, and so what, what was, like, one of your first roles in Colorado? The, the very first role I had in Colorado, uh, I played Reverend Paris in a production of The Crucible at the Upstart Crow. Okay, and I never did another drama after that. So you like you like comedies? Oh, I prefer comedy. Yeah, and I don't mind dramas, but it's just funny how it's worked out that way—just one comedy after another. Uh-huh. So you didn't go to like you know have an MFA or anything like that. You did, you kind of came to it a little later in life. I came to it a little bit later. I mean, I say later, but I was like twenty-eight or something. Right. So it wasn't it wasn't that late. But I didn't. Uh, I never studied theater. I never you know took any. Uh, I took some classes at the Arvada Center and the Denver Center and that sort of thing, and. Uh, so it was just something that I, I found later and that I really, really loved. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, um, like, uh, so after you did, a, 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 I'm assuming quite a number of roles and, and were you acting full time or was that a side, side thing? For you? Uh, oh no, I, I always had a, 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 a day job as well. So I was always acting on the side and, um, just 
doing as much as I could around that, you know, around that day job. Uh-huh. And then when, uh, when did you first uh, kind of take up uh, directing? The, it was a, a couple of years later, I would say 2000, maybe 2004. I was just, and I was just in the right place at the right time. Somebody had dropped out of directing a show at a theater and I was just standing in the lobby talking to someone and the artistic director said, Hey, do you direct? And I said, Sure. And so I did. And then I discovered that I kind of liked that too. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, there are people that, you know, that they're actors that are like, I never want to direct. No, thank you very much. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would never want to stage manage. Uh-huh. That would be the thing I would never want to do because it's such a, a terribly difficult job. And God bless the fabulous stage managers that we have in this city. Um, but the, yeah, acting, I go between acting and directing. I, I definitely direct uh, a lot more than I act now. It was, you know, when I started, it was more acting and then a little bit of directing. And now it's more directing and a little bit of acting. So um, let's talk a little bit about your 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 path to the vintage. When did you uh, get first get involved with this theater? The uh, Craig Bond, who is one of the founders of Vintage Theater, approached me in sometime in 2007 and asked me to come aboard and work with Vintage and direct some shows. And at that time, I was a, a co-artistic director. Craig and I were both kind of co-artistic directors selecting the shows and helping to manage the company. And, and then after, let's see, I want to say 2012, um, 12 maybe, 11, I left Vintage to manage Spotlight Theater Company. Okay. And then uh, once, once again, Craig called me. In 2016, and asked me to come back as the just the artistic director because at that time he was doing both. The, he was both the executive director and the artistic director, so he had asked me to come back as the artistic director, and then he would just be the executive director. So then, now I've been here since then, and then in the time that I wasn't kind of on staff at Vintage, I was still directing here as a guest director. So, you know, I've been involved off and on with Vintage since 2008. Okay. And what is the history of this theater? How, how many years has it been? Uh... Well, 20, 2020 is our 20th season. Uh, so 20 years. Uh, for a long time, Vintage was a nomadic company. They didn't have a space. And then uh, they worked a lot at the Phoenix Theater when that was around. And then we moved into the space at 17th and Vine, and that was in 2008, and that was their first, their first full-time kind of space. So we had our first full season in that space, and then we moved out of there in 2011 or 12 to come over here. And so we've been here ever since then. Okay, so not that long. And what, what, kind of, what was this building before? Well, before we were here, it was... It was empty for a little bit. There were a couple of theater companies that had produced some shows here. Uh, but before that, uh, it was the Shadow Theater Company that lived here uh, for a number of years uh, that, you know, Jeffrey Nicholson uh, was the artistic director for. And so that's why our main our main stage theater is called the Nicholson Auditorium. Okay. So, it, I mean, it seems like it was obviously built as a theater. I think, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what it was built as, but it's been a number of things. Uh, it was an auto parts store at one point. It was a, uh, a, a workout, you know, uh, a gym at some point, uh, and something else I forget. Uh, I've heard there's a swimming pool under the lobby. Really? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to find out someday. Right. There's Nazi gold somewhere. <laughs> I probably, know, right? <laughs> so I don't, I really don't know what the building started out as. Um, cause I don't, I don't think they built it as a theater. Okay. Well, it almost looks that way. It was really Jeffrey Nicholson and shadow theater that came in and 
built the space out, uh, this main stage, the big stage that we have, uh, and the little stage was not a theater until we moved in and we built that space out. So right now it's, it's a wonderful, um, space and, and every theater's dream, I think to have like, you know, a larger auditorium and then a smaller oh, black absolutely. box. I mean, yeah. Yeah. This is any, any producer's dream to ha- first of all, have your own space and second of all, have two different performing spaces and actually three with the cabaret. Cause we do cabarets in the right. lobby, you know, almost every week. So, um, so let's talk a little bit, um, about the, the vintage and, and it does, does an extraordinary number of shows. You know, we talked about the two theaters, the Nicholson and the smaller Bonn Trimble Theater, uh, plus the cabaret. Um, how do you keep all that going? That's a lot of balls to juggle. It, it, it's, it's pretty difficult. We have, a, we have a, um, a number of part-time staff, people that uh, assist us. Obviously we have a wonderful staff uh, and Craig and I, you know, kind of manage the, the big picture while the staff helps us with the kind of granular day-to-day things going on because I, you know, I still have to work around my day job to make all that happen. Okay. You know, uh, and Craig does too. He has a day job as well, you know, as most of us do. Yes. We have, we have, we have work, work our day jobs around our theater habit, you know? Right. That's great. So, um, when did you get, so I was just looking at the list of shows. So you started off, um, in the new year with, uh, Frost Nixon in the smaller theater. And I think I counted like a dozen shows. Uh, it's 12, it is 12. Well, uh, it, angels in America is two parts. So I guess I count that as two productions. Uh, so if you do it that way, it's 12 shows this year. Yeah. I would, I would count that twice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, and then the cabaret, how did that come along later or has that been? A came, sp- no, it came along later. I mean, we had the space in the lobby and nothing was happening with it. And I just wanted to get, I wanted to have something going on. I didn't know what it would be though. And then Michael O'Shea came to me and said, we should do a cabaret. Let's just try it out. And we did a couple of events and people came to see it on a Wednesday or Thursday night when normally there's, you know, just rehearsals going on in this space. So it was great to have just more activity going on here and to give artists the, the chance to kind of showcase their talents. You know, they get to put a, they get to put together a cabaret evening and invite people and they get to keep 70% of the ticket sales mm-hmm. for themselves. So it's uh, it's turned into this great program. And we have such a variety of performers and types of evenings that we do now and really growing. That's great. And, and does that attract like a little more of a local Aurora audience or does that pull from? You know, they, they would have come from all over. And I think it also depends on who the performer is because they also, I mean, a lot of times the performer will pull from their uh, fan base, I guess. And then we have subscribers that will want to come see it and come see a particular, you know, cabaret. So they're really, uh, yeah, it's really from all over. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's interesting that the, you know, there's so much theater going on in this, you know, you got the Aurora Fox right around the block. Oh, absolutely. It's wonderful. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I don't think I would come to Aurora very often otherwise, just cause I, I live kind of far from here. Oh, sure. Yeah. But we have subscribers and, and just regular customers, in fact, that come from, you know, Boulder and ever, I mean, they come from everywhere just to see theater here. So, um, so let's talk a little bit more about the, 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 current season yeah. so you've got frost nixon i just was uh, um we just were looking at the first read through of the the, the scottsboro yeah, boys right. yeah that, that that betty is directing uh, betty hart is directing absolutely right so um that's is that the next one up uh, that is the next show that opens they open february oh gosh 7th okay whatever that friday is yeah, I think it's seventh. Uh huh. Okay. And when you when you uh, worked on picking the season, was there any kind of thematic thing to it, or is it? You know, I never work with a, I never work with a theme. I mean, I, I tried that in the past, and it just never 
kind of works out well. And sometimes you have shows that fit the theme, but don't really fit your aesthetic or fit your, you don't really, you don't really love the show, but it fits the theme really well. So I never work with a theme. Um, I just do, I pick a season, uh, I pick a season that I think I would, if I saw that season at another theater, I would buy a season ticket. Will this season make me buy a season ticket at another theater? Uh You know, so that's my kind of uh, baseline way to start out. And it's also, I also want shows that aren't either have not been done at all here in uh, the Denver area or stuff that has not been done in some time so that we can introduce our audiences. You know, I think our audiences know that they're going to get something that they won't see just everywhere. And, and you've got two theaters, so you, you probably think of big shows and small shows. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, our bigger musicals, obviously in the bigger space. And then that allows me to take a risk maybe on something in the smaller space, something that may not be as well known or is just something really different. And what are some examples of those uh, that, that you're doing in the small space this season? Um, some of the, yeah, sure. The, uh, well, we've got Fireflies coming up opening May 1st. That is a uh, romantic comedy for people of a certain age. Okay. And uh, it'll be starring Deb Persoff. No one's ever heard of it. It's never been, it's a regional premiere. It's never been done here. You know, sometimes people want to see something they've heard of or a, a product that they know. So I'm, my hope is that we're training audiences that they don't always have to know what it is what it is exactly that they're going to be seeing, but that they're coming for a quality product, you know, at Vintage. And then after that, um, let's see, I'm trying to think what the, uh, well, the last night of Ballyhoo, I don't think a, lo- a ton of people know about. They've heard of Driving Miss Daisy, which is the same author, uh, but Ballyhoo hasn't been done in this town in some time. Yeah, I saw it at the Denver Center like in the 90s. I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. The Fox did it, uh, you know, I think... 15 or 18 years ago or whatever it was. So it just, it just hasn't been done a lot. And, uh, I think it's a great show for the holidays. Yeah, that is a good, I mean, I don't remember anything about what, what it's about, except it was, I thought it was like Jews in the South. Yeah. And they sell it and they have a Christmas tree and you know, it's, but they're all concerned about who's going to the big social event of the year, which is called Ballyhoo and Gone with the Wind is having its premiere in Atlanta at the same time as, uh, Hitler is invading Poland. So we've got uh, all sorts of things going on in that script, which are, just, and Steve Wilson's going to be coming in to direct that for us, which is really exciting for me. Okay. And I'm sorry, I don't know Steve Wilson. Steve Wilson uh, runs the, the JCC, uh, the Jewish Community Center. Okay. Yeah. And he's and he's directed for years for family and for other places. Great. Um, and uh, any other like standouts? I mean, of course, you probably think they're all great. Well, I I think they're all fabulous. Yes. The um, the well, I'm so excited about the Scottsboro Boys because I had tried to get the the rights to that be able to present it uh, for a number of years. And they just kept saying, no, we're not going to release the rights yet. We're not going to release the rights yet. Uh, and they finally did. And I think that's a show that not a lot of theaters would um, would produce. And I think it's a I think it's such a great piece. It's but it's in our bigger space. It's a risky piece for us. Nobody has heard of it. Um, and actually, not a lot of people know about the um, the actual history of the Scottsboro Boys. So it's uh, it's an interesting educational lesson for people. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
And then, and I think you were, you're closing out with like, uh, like Matilda, the musical, Matilda, the musical, uh, which I love. I saw it in New York. Um, crazy, crazy, talented kids. Uh, it, and it's, it's real dull. So it's got that kind of offbeat, dark humor of his, you know, that we all know from Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory and, um, other, other things. It's, uh, yeah, it's just a great piece. I think it's great for the holidays. It's something the whole family can come in and enjoy. That's not a Christmas carol or something, uh, a little more standard. Right. Yeah. Right. Not that there's anything wrong with a Christmas carol because people do that show and we love a Christmas carol. I'm not putting anyone down for, <laughs> for doing a Christmas carol. No, not at all. I mean, yeah. but you know, if lots of theaters are doing it, you know, it's certainly the occasion yeah, to do something else. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of been one of my philosophies that if, you know, if a lot of people are doing something, that's not, then it's not something that I want to do. I want to do some, I want people to be able to see, you know, some different shows here, you know, much like, the, uh, much like the Aurora Fox is doing. I mean, they do shows that are almost, they might all be, in fact, I'm sure they're all premieres of some kind, either regional or world premieres. Even I hadn't heard of most of the stuff when they announced it. And I was like, this is, it's so exciting to have them right next door to us uh, because we have different, uh, different sensibilities, but both producing quality work and just stuff that you either haven't seen or have never seen. Onstage Colorado is the state's best place to find information about live theater. Our website at onstagecolorado.com has the most comprehensive calendar for live performances, not just in the metro area, but all around Colorado. That means you can find shows from Boulder to Breckenridge, Denver to Durango, and everywhere in between. Also, the Onstage Colorado review crew gets out to see many of the shows going on around the state. So if you'd like to know more about a show before you buy tickets, chances are we've got a review of it online you can read first. To keep on top of it all, subscribe to our weekly newsletter on the site. It comes out every Thursday and has the latest reviews, podcasts, and also a lineup of new shows opening around Colorado. Find it all on onstagecolorado.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Onstage Colorado podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast platforms. Yeah, and thinking about theaters and, and kind of um, what what they're doing and like sort of the, the scene in Colorado, I was just going to ask you your thoughts about since you've been around uh, for, for, you know, a, a little while here. Right. Um, and the theater scene in Colorado has yeah. really, I don't know, I think it's, it's really heated up. I would... It's incredibly vibrant. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and, and there's even been some theaters starting, you know, in the last year or two, theater companies. Um, I think there are theater companies that start every year, in fact. <laughs> right. So um, from from your uh, wise old perch as the artistic director, <laughs> what advice would you give to a newer theater starting up? I would say to focus on the patron experience. You know, every new theater that wants to start up is either a group of people that love each other so much they want to just work together and produce great work. Uh, or they're, it's a smaller group of people that says, well, nobody is filling this need currently in our current theater scene. And we want to produce work like that. And I I say it doesn't matter what you're producing. If you're not focusing on the patron experience and the level of quality in your work, then you won't be around long. Uh, and that's why I think that's why we've had a number of theaters come and go over the years, and but also a number of theaters that have been here for a very long time. So pay attention to your audience, I pay guess. Attention, pay attention. Always pay attention and, and, and ask them. And talk to them, you know, survey them, talk to them at the performance. What do they think? Will they come back? Are they happy? And do you do that kind of uh, audience survey now still? We absolutely do. After every, after every 
performance, um, a survey goes out. Tell us what you thought of the show, but also just as important, what did you think of the service that you received? Um, uh, how is the facility? Is the facility does the facility alone meet your needs as a as a theater goer? You know, and my personal philosophy has always been to make it to make it feel like home for our for our, not only for our patrons but also for our actors and our designers and our directors and all the people that work here and our bartenders. Uh, so I want it to feel like home to everybody. Right. Yeah. One of the things I, this is one of the theaters I like to come to a little early because I know I can go and get a, like a martini at the yeah, bar. And absolutely. absolutely. We have this incredible, we have this incredible bar and this huge lobby and you can just come and drink and have a seat and visit with your friends before the show, you know, before you go into the theater. Yeah. Yeah. It's a scene. There's a scene. It's a whole, it's a whole scene. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking a little bit about um, just talking kind of about in theater in general and mm-hmm. how, you know, your competition may not necessarily necessarily be other theaters, but it might be like, you know, this highly distractive, distracted audience that it's Netflix. It's, you know, it's a football game. It's whatever. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I would never say another theater is our competition. I think anybody that's producing theater is also promoting live theater. And so what is, in your uh, opinion, um, something that live theater gives that, 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 that those screens just don't? Um, I think there are... <laughs> Two things come to mind immediately. One is that you come to live theater to have a visceral experience. Um, obviously, a Netflix movie or an Amazon series can make you feel something. But there is something about being in the theater and feeling something along with a hundred other people in the room that creates this kind of magnification of feeling and uh, promotes a feeling of community within the audience and a shared sense of community between the audience and the actors on stage. So that's something that you just, there's no way to get that from watching something on a screen. The other thing is empathy. Um, and again, you, you could get that from, a, from watching something on, on television. But again, there's something about having that experience live in person with another actor uh, and again, along with other audience members that are next to you that teaches people and conditions people to have more empathy. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, you know, like you said, visceral, it's real. It's right in front of you. It is right in front of you. And if you're in our, if you're in our small space, it's literally inches from you. you know? Yeah. Yeah. They can trip over you if you put your. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It, that, that has actually happened. <laughs> so, you know, I sometimes think about, um, you know, people reacting against, you know, uh, you hear so much about like people are on screens too much. They're on their phone, they're on their computer. And I wonder if, if there'll be a kind of a, you know, a, I don't know, rea- a, a anti-reaction to that in the future where people are just like, you know, really seeking, seeking things like Absolutely. live theater. I, I, I think I've been thinking about that for some time. I think there's going to be a Facebook backlash at some point. Uh, and I think Facebook is great, you know, because I, I can connect with all of my family members and talk to people about the shows that I'm doing. And I love that. But I also think that uh, as people spend more and more time on their devices, eventually there's going to be that growing sense of there's going to be a growing need for uh, the human connection that they can only get with something like a live theater experience. So, yeah. Gonna, it's going to make a comeback. I'm telling you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it almost sounds like something theater should market, you know, put your phone down and come right. see like the original 3D. That's right. That's 
<laughs> you know, I thought about that also with like, you know, like fraternal organizations, like, you know, like mm. the Elks Lodge, you know, could they, if they could market that, you know, like yeah. come out and, you know, get a cheap drink. <laughs> yeah. Get, get a cheap drink and, and, you know, just connect with other people. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm totally with you on that. Um, one of the other things about theater that I know, um, everybody who's, you know, trying to, uh, keep a theater going is concerned about is the, you know, sort of the graying of the audience. So how do you get young people more engaged? The, uh, it's, well, first of all, you have, uh, either you have to have some sort of youth program in your theater, or you have to promote a youth program in someone else's theater, or there, we have to, we have to continually be training the next generation of artists, but not only not only the next generation of actors and designers and directors, but also the next generation of theater goers. So we have we do a couple of things here at Vintage where we have a summer camp that kids can come in and put together a show in like a three week span of time. But we also have a program where we have people that will go out to schools and just do a little theater education hour with the students. We also have an after school program on certain days that where uh, kids can come here to the theater and play theater games and just, again, teaching them empathy and connection and being around other humans and not just on their devices. So that's that's definitely one of the ways we can encourage the next generation of theater goers and ticket buyers and but also the just I guess community outreach, just being in the community and and producing shows that your community wants to see. Right. You know, I mean, you've got when you think about millennials, you're thinking uh, these are people that you know they don't even want to buy, you know, HBO. They they share the password. Right. You know, they're they're kind of used to getting a lot of their content for you know. Maybe maybe we should start charging a monthly fee for vintage instead of a ticket price per. Uh, you know, I, I wonder. You know, um, you know, we think about you know those people, and it's like they want. What thirty five dollars for a ticket? I can go to the movies for this or that, you know. But they have to see the value. And it's like, how do you convince them of of that value? And I think you answered it. It's yeah. it's educating them earlier on. But, but it's, a, it's a it's definitely a, a really good question, and it's a question that all theaters right now are facing everywhere. You know, how do we capture that twenty something market, twenty and thirty something, frankly, you know, that market as well. But it's the if they can have if I can get them here for one experience of connection, I think I think they're going to want more of it. So uh, I actually gave you a heads up. So I was going to ask you uh, one last thing about yeah. rec- recommending it. And, and I was thinking about reading plays and how a lot of people don't read plays. Oh, and, and I was I was talking to Wendy Ishi at Bob Lou mm-hmm. uh, and I asked her the same question. And I thought maybe I'll just ask everybody this, because what are what are a couple of uh, plays that you would suggest people read that yeah. and plays that they may not see produced. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, uh, of course have been thinking about this, um, since you, since you had written that email, the first one that comes to mind is a play by David Lindsay, a bear called good people. The second one is, uh, a play called that championship season by Jason Miller. And now I'm trying to think what my third choice was. I would say When You Coming Back, Red Rider by Mark Medoff. And what about that play? What do you think is, is interesting? I love the uh, I love anything that has to do with relationships and when relationships get strained and how people uh, deal with that and how they come out the other side, either still together or apart. And that is um, that's a play about a hostage hostage situation. In a, in a small diner that I think is just a, a fascinating slice of America put under pressure. 
Right. You know, that's what, that's, what's fascinating to me about that. Okay. And that championship season, that almost sounds like a, was that a film? It was a film. It's a 19, I want to say it's 1978. It's the, it won the Pulitzer prize that year. Uh, the play did. And the, uh, and then the film came out in, I think 1980, maybe, uh, with an all-star cast like Robert Mitchum. And I think Stacey Keach was in it and Martin Sheen. Um, it's a great, you know, back then we didn't have the term toxic masculinity, but there is something about that about this play, that championship season that deals with that, you know, that some of these, it's about a basketball team, about five guys that were on a basketball team that had won the the high school championship and they get together to kind of celebrate the memories and the anniversary of their, of their win along with their coach. And the, the way men, the way men relate to each other. And of course, in that time period, it was a lot more difficult because men didn't really have a way to relate to each other emotionally. Uh, so I, I, I just think it's a fascinating play. Okay. And what was that first one you mentioned? Uh, uh, the first one is a play called Good People. It's by David Lindsay Abair, whom uh, he's a playwright that I just love. I love all of his work. Uh, we've done um, Kimberly Akimbo at Vintage as well as Rabbit Hole, uh, which was another play that I loved. But Good People is some uh, – the only place I've seen produce it was, I think, Curious – Maybe about ten years ago, I don't remember, but it's a um, a play with themes of uh, race, class, aging, uh, all done with David Lindsay Abers' kind of signature absurdist comedy. And I just I think it's a fascinating play. Okay, well those are those are three great recommendations. So yeah, go go read those plays. Read, read some read any plays. Yeah. Go see plays and read plays. All right. Well, Bernie Cardell, uh, artistic director at Vintage Theater, has got a really exciting season coming up. So strongly suggest you uh, come out here and and get here a little early and, and check out the bar. There's always usually two bartenders. Yeah, have a glass of wine and. Yeah. You know. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Bernie. Yeah. Thank you. Great stuff, and thanks to Bernie for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk with us. Uh, the Vintage has Frost Nixon uh, up right now in their small theater through February 9th, and as he noted, the great Betty Hart is directing a production of the Scottsboro Boys that starts February 7th in their larger auditorium. Thanks for listening to the Onstage Colorado podcast. If you're looking for shows, showtimes, reviews, and more, be sure to look on the Onstage Colorado website. We'll be back with a new podcast in a week or two, so until then, we'll see you at the theater. 